1: Welcome to the Renegade Report. I'm Jonathan. And uh, Ramon was just about to have a sip, but Jesus. A sip? Uh, wow. Well, that's interesting. Have you eaten anything uh, delicious lately? Because our countrymen have. <laughs> our countrymen certainly have. <laughs> um, down in Escort. I they, saw, I, uh, they actually dug up
2: bodies. They were like a few weeks or months old and ate those too. And I'm not sure how they didn't get like, terribly ill from, from doing that. Well, you have to mentally, well, terribly ill to start off thinking that's a good idea, surely.
1: Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I think I think you you seriously disturbed if you're uh, eating humans. But uh, we, we've we got people standing outside courts with signs that say no to cannibalism. Hashtag as if it's 1600s. say no to, yeah. <laughs> oh,
2: Hashtag say no to cannibalism. But I mean… <laughs> You know, in the end, it's really their culture and our heteronormative Western influence, you know, must be aware of the privilege we have and shouldn't, you know, be too We shouldn't harsh. judge their
1: culture so about not, eating
2: other humans. Yeah, not too harshly because it's yeah. their culture and we, we don't eat humans. So what? We haven't got that we lived have, experience. No, we haven't got that experience. <laughs> that's the word I was looking for <clears> or <throat> words.
1: Oh man, that's, that's some good stuff right there. Just like apparently human. Meters.
2: So yeah, so it's 2017, ANC releases a press statement saying, cannibalism is no good for you, don't do it. And you've got people outside the court saying, hashtag say no to
1: cannibalism. Cannibalism. Yeah, it's, it's, oh, it's, it's great it, living it's, in Africa, it, man. It's mind blowing. If you are one of our international guests and you think you maybe have, Warped into another universe? No, no. People were eating other people in South Africa. That's that's where we are right now. It's 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 just astonishing. I I cannot believe we are here. I, I just can't. Oh, it's fantastic. <laughs> do you do you want to introduce our esteemed guest who we haven't yet eaten? Um, right. No, not yet. That, that's for after the show. So our guest today is my. I have to say this
2: publicly, I suppose. My best friend. I have to say that. Like he's someone I know. I think it's only a fair disclosure. He's someone I know. Like he, he he asked me to be his best man. Like I asked him. We're like, okay, fine. We'll just see each other every few months. And.
1: Okay. So there's, there's a bromance talk that's been going on
2: for a long time. Apparently so. But, uh, his name is Sebastian Chatov. And, uh, yeah, we've been friends for what 12 years and he was living in the Soviet Union and that's why he's here. Welcome, Sebastian.
0: Well, thank you for having me here, really. Um, I must say it's very good to be here. You must not be doing too well if you have me on your show, really, given what illustrious company you had here before. I feel a bit awkward in this chair. I mean,
2: I mean, the the previous 12 guests in front of you, like, couldn't make it or declined or the studio wasn't available. So, where to go for sloppy seconds? We just,
1: we got, we got some Russian, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Just like out of the woodwork. He's not
2: even a Russian.
1: Well, we're going to get to that. Right.
0: (laughs) Uh, But nevertheless, one who is uh, willing to question the gastronomic habits of cannibals.
2: Well, well, I mean, in in Soviet Union, it was fairly normal in Ukraine in the 30s or so, wasn't it?
0: Well, yes. I mean, there was a famine and uh, certainly you could buy in the markets various human parts if you
2: wanted to. Well, there are famous photos of people selling like human appendages and heads. In, in the market in the ukraine
0: and limbs yeah. yes and yeah. uh, eat, eat, eat. yes and people did get eaten i'm i'm afraid this is what certain policies can lead to
1: well where were you where are you from actually originally
0: so uh originally born in bulgaria of uh, mixed polish and uh, turkish heritage and uh grew up in russia and uh went to school there um i still remember russia when it was a soviet union so my memories go back a bit further than perhaps yours
1: well, you're way older than us, so I would hope so. Is he, is he really? I, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm approaching him. I know his age now. He, I just he disclosed... look youthful because I age well. <laughs> Damn Europeans. Um, all right. So you lived in essentially communist Russia. Is that a, is that a fair, fair statement?
0: You could say that my childhood and my uh, teenage years were certainly spent in that um, sort of we say Eastern Bloc and um, immediately post-Soviet environment. So um, I suppose I have uh, pretty decent recollections of it and um,
1: pretty decent memories. So, so tell us tell us some of those recollections. Tell us some of the more disturbing things that you, you recall. And, and, oh, well, if there were good things, throw them in as well. well
2: not, not disturbing. I mean just give us a historical, uh, historical context. Your family was, has been there as well, I assume, for a number of years. Um, and uh, what do you remember? Well, um,
0: so uh, th- there was obviously life before communism as well. And uh, in my case, particularly, uh, I have the um, terrible misfortune to have been descendant from landowners. And uh, you will appreciate that um, somebody who does not like private um, property and who believes that this is a means of oppression does not like landowners very much. And um, if you uh, do not like landowners, essentially you want to hurt them and take their stuff. And uh, my great-grandfather uh, was uh, one of those. Um, he was probably in English terms something equivalent to a country squire. Um, he um, did something in connection with the collection of revenue from his district. And uh, essentially he hunted and he shot. There was a lake and there were woods and there was a house with a big library. And, uh, the commies came to power and they said, well, we want to take your land and use it for a collective farm.
1: When was this? In the 20s?
0: This was, so no, this was the, so in Bulgaria, this came a bit later. So the Soviet army occupied after the second world war. So you're talking about the late 40s and the early 50s. And that's where the uh, mass um, collectivization happened then. And, uh, essentially he was told, uh, give us your land. And he said, how about no? And, uh, he got taken for questioning. And, uh, the third such questioning, um, he did not survive. Um, the story I know is that he was deposited in front of the house. It was about 11 at night. Um, he did not have a patch of white skin on his body. That's how bruised he was. Um, there was some kind of a old wife remedy that people believed, uh, would help. Perhaps because everybody was so freaked out and that is to cut up a beast and to wrap the man up in the hide supposedly that would have helped they did that it did not help about um three in the morning my great-grandfather expired in the hands of my grandmother who had just married into the family and then um the next few days the authorities came and my great-grandmother um signed off everything really you know after she had seen all of this and, um, essentially the land and the property that the family has occupied for generations, uh, went for roughly the equivalent of a annual, annual salary of a rural teacher, which you would appreciate, um, in post-war Europe was even less than what it would mean in today's terms. And, um, if that wasn't enough, um, Commies also like to put you in a certain bracket. They want to know exactly where you stand in terms of those who are oppressed. So in terms of ID books, much as there, is in, there was rather in South Africa, the system to classify people according to race. In the Eastern Bloc, there was a system to classify them according to their social background. And if your origins were, shall we say, undesirable... Roughly the effect was as, um, um, as the one to having a Jewish grandmother during Nazi Germany. Um, anything could happen really, depending exactly on sort of, on many things like the phase of the moon and the mood of the secret police or <laughs> there was no real consistency, but it could be anything from outright execution to, uh, sentencing and an execution by a kangaroo court to, uh, perhaps, a. Um, sentencing and confiscation of property and imprisonment by a kangaroo court, or it could be just confiscation, or it could be, um, some kind of a concentration camps, depending.
2: But what, what do you mean by the term undesirable or the way the state used it at the time? What did it entail?
0: Well, um, so it entailed essentially, uh, what, um, the Marxists, uh, consider their primary, uh, chief interest, their occupation, their, um, their relationship to the means of production. And if you owned any of the means of production, um, for example, because you had a business or because uh, you had a factory or because you owned mm. land, then that was already uh, put you in a class of exploiter. And I think some people could still be convinced that this is a good thing. Uh, but uh, the problem is that once you get into the nitty-gritty of defining you know, who exactly is an undesirable, um, the definition gets left to um party commissars and apparatchiks and uh, anything could really go because uh, you could be a large landowner, you could be a mid-sized landowner, which in Russia was called the kulak. And uh, he was essentially the equivalent of a yeoman farmer, you know, he had a little bit of land, which he cultivated successfully. And he had a small surplus for the market, but he was by no means, you know, an oppressor. And chances are, he had his family work for him mostly, and uh, maybe with the occasional labourer hired. And then there was another definition, the Seredniak, who was the slightly lesser Kulak. And then there was the real sort of anybody who had anything in excess of 600 square meters, you know. And the, all these people were liable to get hurt and to have their stuff taken away from them because they were undesirables, you know. And that is just coming to the rural setting. We're not even going into the cities Um in... St. Petersburg in in 1917, when Trotsky was um, sort of initially very busy rounding everyone up, um, his um, henchmen wanted to know, well, what is this thing of bourgeois, you know, who are we actually uh, rounding up and shooting? And he says, "Um, look, let me explain it too simple. You go into a guy's house. If he has a sofa and two matching armchairs, he's a bourgeois. Take him, shoot him. Simple as that. Um, there wasn't, um, uh, although in many ways, uh, Marxism is about splitting fine theological hairs, and I do believe that, uh, it is in a way a kind of a secular religion, uh, very often, um, its followers take a much more pragmatic and, um, equally basic approach.
2: Well, and, and it appears more strident too. I don't know if Marx advocated, you know, violence in overthrowing capitalism he sort of understood capitalism is necessary in a way but his followers the Bolsheviks specifically created we had a guest on here last time byron mcfadden the commie Mm, the the other commie and he said he's a marxist and he says you know the problem with with marxism is not marx itself is that the bolsheviks appropriated marxism for themselves so everyone who wants to be uh, a marxist in power has to go through what
1: the Bolsheviks implemented first. Except, uh, just to make a point on that is that Marx did talk about a workers' revolution. I don't know how you get a revolution without, uh, you know, the assumption that he must have meant a peaceful revolution, uh, with no violence is, 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 oh, I sure. think very charitable. But about
2: that, he would want governed bureaucrats rounding up people who have, streets, matching lounge suites. <laughs>
0: Well, uh, this is um, to me. Whenever I hear those explanations, I would feel perhaps roughly the way a rape victim would feel. Uh, the way um, a rape apologist would go on about this. Oh, look, it wasn't. Uh, uh, it wasn't right. But you know, the actual thing is okay. No, it's not. Because if you look at the doctrine, it does foresee a dictatorship of the proletariat. There's no mucking about there. We, with by the force of arms. We shall seize the means of production and we shall destroy the bourgeois order. And uh, while we go about it, you know, uh, we are quite committed and we will eliminate all class enemies. And uh, the class enemy is defined rather broadly as roughly everybody who opposes us. You know, anybody who is not for the revolution <laughs> is a bit like with George W. Bush. You know, you are against and therefore, you know, you deserve to be your back a- against the wall.
1: A- and in a system that uh, outwardly says property rights don't exist – uh you would wonder how you could possibly get there from a system with property rights without violence
0: well this is another idiotic thing about marxism yes uh, but uh you know marxism is full of idiotic things to begin with you know uh one of those is uh, yes private property uh this is where they like to split a fine theological hair this, that's one instance uh you know so you are allowed property but you are allowed what they call personal property oh yes you you, you are not allowed private property because insofar and and property a personal property rather becomes private property when it is used to oppress so if you own a car and you drive yourself to work um, you are using your personal property but if you become an uber driver then you are making a profit and you will appreciate profits are immoral because they are a result of exploitation. But,
1: but, but even in the sense of owning a car, if you, if you own a car and the majority don't own a car and you drive yourself to work, are you not being oppressive to those who don't own a car? And then in that example, that suddenly becomes, uh, you know, not personal property, but, but private property.
0: Uh, No, because you are not living off the profits of anyone, really. And that's what really matters to Marxists. In Marxist ideology, the worst possible sin that you could do is make a profit. And the way profit is defined is rather broad, as anybody who has um, learned anything about the labor theory of value will tell you. Uh, The essence is um, if I make a profit of um, you as my employee – of the fruits of your labor, then I'm exploiting you. And uh, this obviously doesn't take into account that I also take on the liability to pay you your salary, even if my business is not doing well. So I need to be compensated for my risk. It doesn't compensate the fact that we entered into this thing voluntarily, really. you know, Uh, It doesn't matter whether as an employer, you're a good, bad or indifferent, whether as a business owner, you're a good, bad or indifferent. It Mm. matters what group you belong to, what demographic do you belong to. What's yeah. your personal likes and dislikes is secondary.
1: All right, so so you, you've told us about your your grandfather, your great grandfather. Uh, obviously, they then have to surrender land as as many others do. They uh, are known to be landowners. So, in other words, your grandfather is then in the same class. Uh, your father ends up Correct. in the same class, and you end up in the same class. And that means you get treated in a certain way, um, which results in what's practically in 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 the society.
0: Well, so um, uh, you see, these things go to stages uh, through stages, depending on what happens, uh, or, or rather, the stage at which the communist revolution is in. So, initially, the commies have to take over power, and they have to solidify it. So, you know, that is you know a very insecure period, and this is where you get uh, Lenin, and this is where you get Stalin, and this is where you get those sorts of lovely characters uh, who will take out. Anyone really who stands in their way, you know, and this is roughly what my grandfather experienced, not perhaps to the same extent because he wasn't involved that much with things, but um, he was, for example, forbidden from attending university. He could not complete a degree. That's because uh, he had essentially what in modern terms would be called privilege. And that uh landowner privilege was meant to stick with you genetically, and therefore you did not need uh a university education. We had to put somebody else through it. uh He would be discriminated when it comes to employment opportunities um he um would um be allowed to have a job as a teacher in a remote rural school, and as soon as he became established and this is One of the philosophies of communism is to run you to the grounds until you die. So as soon as you become become established at a school, then you get moved to another school because why not? You know we could still make your life miserable because you privileged excuse my French scum is uh, you, you are not entitled to any benefits. You are meant to die like the miserable bugger you are.
2: You know, this this sounds very familiar. Are you still talking about the Soviet Union or South Africa? I can't tell the difference sometimes.
0: <laughs> well, look, and, and and to me, this is the eeriest thing, really, sometimes living in this country. Okay, so, uh, you know, this is a democracy which has a communist party in power. It uh, uh, has a yes. communist party that wants to contest elections. Its minister of trade is a Marxist academic who hasn't created a single ounce of wealth in his life, but he has written lots of Marxist articles, probably, you know, and that's what they do. Um, it is very eerie when there is, uh, this presumption of guilt based on belonging to a certain class. Like you fellas are white, heterosexual, I hope males.
1: Well. well uh, half white. That, that is true. That is oh, true. Are you white? I don't know. Uh, well, I don't know. We're an ethnicity.
0: <laughs> and, uh, essentially you have, a privilege, you know, which, uh, um, essentially is, um, uh, how to say it. Um, it's a
2: set of advantages that society has bequeathed to us.
0: Uh, yes, and we it is, happen to be born this It way. is genetic, and it is your, um, in Christian terms, your original sin. You know, this is something you were born with, and this, right. yeah, this you is can't something get rid can, of it. You cannot expiate. Possibly, the children will have it. Yes 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 it is passed on by gener- uh sort of through generation and this is essentially wh- how it works as well under um any other crude form of collectivism i mean we have seen it with uh, nazi germany we have seen it with south africa with apartheid south africa we have seen it with the communist uh, eastern bloc and elsewhere you know we still see it uh, in places like north korea so being here today is is rather eerie when i hear debates on privilege. This is essentially taken out from the party propagandist's uh, notebook, really. This is uh, this is instruction manual for in the best KGB tradition. And then I think, but well, who trained these guys who are now in power? And I was like, well, he's the KGB.
2: No, that's true. I mean, we tend to forget that, of course. We just see very badly dressed. Uh Fat people in parliament, but they all who sleep often. You're talking uh, about Rob
1: Davies, right?
2: Yes. Uh, there was a, a <laughs> beautiful photo of him and the French Minister of Industry. I don't know if you ever see it. Yes, this. I, I did. Super, yes, I, superb. Uh, Commies
0: have no fashion sense, I can assure you. you no, know?
2: no, yeah. not in the slightest. Um, but yeah, but they were all KGB trained. Um, yeah, this, I, I'm noticing a lot of similarities, Sebastian. A, uh, a it's lot it's, more than. It is rather would
0: disturbing. Suspect. So when I hear revolutionary talk, when I hear the talk about the revolution, it makes me um, very anxious for South Africa because, to me, South Africa is a wonderful country full of wonderful people. Mm. Uh, however, it seems to have a terrible penchant, what the French would call for, sticking to dated and discredited ideologies when the rest of the world was abandoning racial segregation in the fifties and the sixties. South Africa ratcheted, uh, ratcheted it all up. When the rest of the world abandoned uh, Marxist-Leninist dogma uh, and uh, the whole anti-bourgeois pro-revolution talk, this is now. You have ministers in government. You know, you have uh, um, leaders of parties. You have presidents speaking that language, and it makes me wonder. Well, how do, do you not experience a monstrous cognitive dissonance in your mind, because? Essentially, you are saying that uh, uh, your kind of collectivism was worse and my kind of collectivism is better. I often have these discussions with unreconstructed Marxists who are yeah. typically elderly white people. And they say, well, Marxism was our way to oppose apartheid. And I was like, but if you want to oppose theft, do you really unleash mass murderers or do you create a system that deals competently with rape as it does with theft? all with murder
2: right and another argument a lot of these people make is that no it, if there were other people in charge at the time it would have been a different yeah. system entirely yeah. this is my and,
0: bloody worst
2: and jordan peterson has this wonderful clip he was in harvard and he says that the complete arrogance of that statement is astounding because believe it or not if we were okay maybe not you but maybe not you either actually sebastian but if we were in um 1930 Germany, we would probably be Nazi prison guards. Not because we're evil, it's because that's the way society works. That's what our job is. It's not a, it's just an indication that deep down, um, we, we have this capacity for evil that people don't want to you could, know about or, or just, want I, I, to I don't think understand. you need
1: to use the Nazi. You don't even have to... Uh, it doesn't have to Goodwin, Godwin's law. Um, you can just use South African examples today. If you are an accountant and you work for KPMG and they're doing business for the Guptas and your job is to go to KPMG and do your job and you happen to come across some papers for the Guptas, you carry on doing your job. Most people don't go, Really? Fuck this shit, I quit. They don't go thought. they don't
2: go to like daily Maverick and Jenny come let's buy your coffee. Do you know all this
1: stuff ready <laughs> so people, people so, just do the job <laughs> unbelievable <laughs> no, but it's 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 absolutely true i want to just d- sort of pick your brain a little bit because. You often hear things like, well, yes, there was bad stuff that happened in the Soviet Union and in sort of those communist Marxist, uh, countries, uh, under Stalin. And yes, Stalin was bad in many ways, but, okay. But there was and Stalinism, then, and then, and then, not communism. Well, yes, of course, real communism has never been tried. Real Stalin, real uh, socialism has never been tried. All that's, all that nonsense. Um, but there will be other examples pointed to. So they'll say things like the Soviet Union was a really strong state. Uh, you know, and it stood up to the United States, for example, which and is, which The is literacy rate was really yeah, high. And the literacy rate was high. And, and healthcare, for example, you know, people will point to Cuba these days, you know, Cuba's, uh, uh, also one of the last bastions of communism in the, in the world. They'll point to it and go, well, healthcare is really great there. Um, and by certain markers, healthcare is great. Uh, those markers, of course, are, are very skewed for, for, mm. for what you're looking for. But, um, schooling, as an example, people will go, well, you know, uh, a lot of great scientists came out of uh, Russia uh, in, in, in the 60s, 70s. Um, and so it couldn't have been all bad. Uh, and so, you know, if we're just taking away the police who shot people, uh, kind of, it, it's actually the way to go.
0: I have been privy to these arguments, you see, and my point with them has been, um, well, firstly, there is no denying things like um, um, it was called the liquidation of illiteracy. Uh, achieving a very high literacy rate, uh, achieving, um, free, uh, primary, secondary, and in most instances, tertiary education. Uh, this was, uh, one of the advantages. Well, it is subject to the caveat that, um, a lot of this came with indoctrination, because if you have to teach children the alphabet and, um, the, um, first year at school primers, uh, grade ones, learn um, to construct sentences along the lines of uh, the Soviet constitution is the most just constitution and uh, the Bulgarian Communist Party is the best friend to the Soviet Communist Party. You kind of get an idea. A second Avert is that commies do not tolerate intellectual competition, as you will have probably experienced with the more radical left-wingers that you would have interviewed by now. So, uh, so they have absolutely no problem with uh, censoring. So things uh, like Nietzsche would be banned, uh, because he was critical of socialism way back in the 19th century. People like Freud would be banned because that's bourgeois science, you know, who needs that? uh things like um Friedrich Hayek the famous Austrian economist would be like and uh what happens is that uh sure you have perhaps very competent engineers uh you have perhaps uh, excellent mathematicians mm. but uh one day when the whole system tumbles down do you have somebody who can run an economy and this is where you need to ask yourself the question why do these people why did um Russia for example go through such Horrible economic uh, reforms in the 90s. Well, because very few people had access to that knowledge.
2: I, I thought it was the sanctions. I've been uh, reading the wrong history books, man.
0: Oh, right. Of course. Yes. I mean, uh, no, the another,
2: ex- written... another excuse given. The, the parallels by are just uh, astonishing. Because, he... but sorry, just before yeah. you go, one. I was, sorry, I want to make a point. There's a guy called Yuri Maltsev. Yeah, whom, you, whom we know, Sebastian. I don't know if you know him. He was uh, Gorbachev's third economic oh, yes, advisor. Yes, yes, I do. Right. Yeah. And I don't know if I told the story before, but anyway, he, he, uh, what do you call it? Absconded, escaped. Uh, de- Jumped ship. He de- defected. Defe- defected to Sweden. And he sat down with Colin Powell Shame. in 1988 or 89 or somewhere around there. And Colin Powell says, listen, Yuri, the experts in uh, America are saying the Soviet economy is roughly between 60 and 70 percent of the U.S. one. And Yuri says, no, it's between six and seven percent. And Colin Powell says, no, no, but it must be, you know, between the two. He says, yes, it is between six and seven percent. So even, so, I mean, even the, the Americans were like besotted with the propaganda that this, the Soviet Union is like this great powerful nation.
0: I have heard this as well in the early nineties. Uh, the Soviet Union, uh, had, uh, Roughly the GDP of the Netherlands. And uh, it, is, it is a problem of measuring it, though. And this is because communism does not measure the gross domestic pro- uh, product. It, it has different economic metrics. And they're very difficult to translate. But it kind of gives you an idea, you know, when it comes again to education and to all these technological advances that people like to bring up. Well, yes, who won the Second World War? And whose which country's advanced equipment did we manage to nick to rebuild an industry? You know, if Hitler has a rocket program but Stalin doesn't, and then a few years later suddenly the Soviet Union are the first people to send a man to space, does that not get you to uh, to ask at least? Some questions, you know, did all of this arise out of nowhere, you know? Or for... Well, exactly
1: the same thing applies to the Americans. Uh, the Americans indeed, uh, yes. uh, build jet planes, essentially, mm. off the backs of German scientists.
0: Very much so. That's how it was. So all these advances, uh, you know, are very difficult uh, to measure. The second thing that I could say, yes, in terms of, um, for example, healthcare, there was a lot of advancement. Uh, I believe it is called uh, primary and preventative um Healthcare, and those were very advanced, Uh, you know, um, very early, um, perhaps in the 40s or 50s, Mm. things like malaria and tuberculosis were um, essentially eliminated. You know, it came to me as a big shocker that, um, you know, in South Africa as a fairly advanced society, people were still dying of malaria. uh, But uh, that was something that was removed way back.
2: We we eat people here. Just be careful. What do you say about us?
1: And I will question your gastronomic habits. <laughs> we don't even from here. Well, I, I'm not. <laughs> oh, now that we're eating people, you're not from here. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I was just saying the parallels, you, you keep inadvertently drawing parallels between uh, essentially the Soviet Union sort of 50 years back uh, and and – modern day because the same thing as you were talking about education and you were saying look there was education but it was it was commie education and and you didn't you had to toe that line so you could become an engineer but you'd have to be an engineer that believed in communism still as a, as a, as a base principle and the same thing is happening in universities today so absolutely i'm the product
0: of the south african tertiary educational system i'm a witz man and uh very often uh it was uh Certainly, in law school, there was a high degree of pressure to to write something that would appease the lecturer, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, the lecturer was typically left-wing. Uh, and law school was still a fine example of uh, liberalism. I think those who went to the humanities department and had to do compulsory uh, notes, uh, essays on uh, gender equality or something, or, or, well, or, 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 or rather critical gender theory.
2: I need to give an anecdote here because we went to Varsity together, Sebastian, in case you forgot. So he sounds very posh all of a sudden on this podcast, I noticed. He's actually a lot more, less less formal. But anyway, so we had to do English, we did law, and then we had to do English literature for some weird reason. I don't know why. No one knows why. So we had to read this book called for Culture. Sula. This book called Sula. So Sula is, I don't know, I didn't read it, but uh, it was about it's a by an Indian author about an Indian girl of some sort. Sebastian read halfway through it. Then he goes to the lecturer and he's like, you know, Dr. Dr. Harris, I think the name was. He's like, you know, Dr. Harris, I read through this book and it's like, it's really shit. Like, it's really fucking awful. She's like, I did my doctorate on that book. And he's like, that's fine, but it's still really shit though. Look, I'm glad you and reminded we, we, me of this. We failed. <laughs> uh, no, I didn't fail. Did you fail that?
0: Think, no, I think I kind of scraped through, but uh, it, it does remind me of another anecdote. I cannot remember the name of that lecturer. Uh, but uh, she was uh, what we would call to them perhaps a, a very devout third wave uh, feminism. And she gave a very long lecture on why English is a sexist language. Uh, presumably, uh, well, it was based on a single article. And uh, the single article stated that uh, English is a sexist language because we say the cleaning lady, but we don't say the cleaning lord, for example. And a whole lot of other examples, which obviously cannot uh, can only be explained by sexism, (laughs) therefore English is sexist. And if you disagree, which I did with her after the lectures, she did to me essentially what brezhnev did to dissidents he says uh essentially she says i should have my head checked because clearly if i do not agree with that view it is because my maleness and my personal experiences in history blind me to um the greater higher truth and uh
2: is, that, um, is, that, is it called false consciousness
0: uh, well, yes, this is uh, – um, in fact, uh, again, this is – I'm very glad you brought it up, this uh, false consciousness. That's why I'm here. Uh, you know, I think this is where – Find me a reason. Uh, this is uh, essentially um, two things here. So false consciousness means that if you are a proletarian, you know, if you're working class, in other words, you work for your money, it means that you have to agree uh, with communist doctrine. And if you do not, you clearly don't know what's in your class's interests. Uh, you know, um, even though you might think that social democracy is actually a, a better solution, you suffer from false consciousness. Uh, this is roughly the equivalent of how, for example, a black intellectual who disagrees with the predominant dogma on race would be crucified, as we have had instances. This is very roughly how a woman who disagrees with third-wave feminism. Would be crucified, uh, and uh, uh, checking your privilege is essentially that. It is um, acknowledge your um, bias. It uh, acknowledge your false consciousness.
2: Yeah, but it's so weird. So first of all, okay. So in South Africa, as you know, Sebastian, so we have white supremacy. Okay, we agree, white are supreme, but then they have false consciousness. So they don't know that they don't know. So, i.e., they don't know that they're biased, and then. They need to go for processing, i.e., you know, go to the Human Rights Commission for saying a bad word and they send you for processing or something like that.
0: Re-education, we well, they, call it. They
2: call, they, call, they, call, they call it counseling. It's a euphemism now. Mm. But they send you for processing to, to get those evil racist thoughts out of your head and then you must pay for the pleasure. And you must pay a private organization called the Foundation for What What. The, the, who, yeah. which, which foundation? The Penny's Parrot? Ah, I actually I, I can't the Foundation I, or something or one of them. Yeah, another How can, another, a, another cha- how can that, a court dictate that a the one who's being prosecuted has to pay a private institution? But, but
1: this, this, this is the Soviet model, right? So if you said something in the Soviet Union which was out of bounds. Uh, I, look, I mean, you, you could have been sent to a gulag, or you could have been put to death, even. Yes. But if they decided to treat you a little bit nicer than that, or, or after the gulags, they didn't last um, the whole way then then you you went you. They might have said, "Look, you've got a psychiatric condition because you can't see that communism is the best communism." Obviously,
0: if you disagree with such an enlightened and. Uh, progressive doctrine that uh, wants to make everybody the same. You know, the, you must clearly be psychologically disturbed, in which case the full uh, um, advancement, um, the full um, nuance of uh, Soviet psychiatry would be uh, unleashed on you. Uh, you would be committed to an institution where you would be treated to the latest advances in Soviet psychiatry, which involved essentially uh a variation of nineteenth uh, century uh thinking such as hold and cold baths and uh a- I wouldn't put it past them, although I'm not aware of such examples. But oh, there right. would be solitary confinement. Uh, there would be a lot of re-education, which was obviously necessary. There would be a lot of drugging, obviously, because uh, if there's a chemical imbalance in your brain that prevents you from seeing the <laughs> truth and the light of communism.
2: I'm sure
1: a lot of woke Twitter would love that to happen to some of us. Well, woke Twitter wants that to happen all the time, right? Ramon Kaepernick, go go for processing. Well, well, woke Twitter would love to see you at the Human Rights Commission where you would be lambasted by a group of intellectuals uh, followed by you being fined uh, and then you being told to go and sit in counseling or therapy where they could readjust your thinking because you are yet to embrace your privilege. I mean, that is there. Where is the difference? Well, there isn't a difference, and um, uh, what surprises me is how many people in
0: this country are blasé about this. You know, I actually had to look into this. You know, and. Uh, because the, the the parallels were too many, you know, the, the the censorship of views, which we do not like, the crude categorization of people, not according to their likes and dislikes or the, their hopes and dreams, but according to group membership. And this is the Vyshinsky doctrine, for those who do not know. Vyshinsky was the prosecutor general of the Soviet Union. And his main thesis is, I don't care what the person has done. I will dig into his life and I will find out what groups did he belong to? What organizations did he support? What, what did he do? Who are his parents? Whom does he keep company with? And on that basis alone, there was enough to put a conviction together. And people were very legitimately, very really through the Soviet justice system, justice in inverted commas, were actually processed. And to me, being blase when you see such disturbing signs in South Africa now, from, uh, this, yeah, intellectual intolerance, from this, um, crude collectivism, uh, from this, um, absolutely zealous faith in, um, in doctrine, uh, in, in this, uh, unshakable righteousness that we have the right to remodel the world, even though we, we didn't ask the people who, um, whom we purport to do this in the name uh, of whether they actually want it. Uh, this is, um, something that is highly disturbing and being blasé about it is to me uh, a very mistaken attitude. You would be like that bloody frog in that uh, proverbial pot of water that is slowly getting boiled. Jews in 19, in the 1930s, Germany also didn't think that things could turn out wrong. But people don't have faith. Remember, I mentioned my great-great-grandfather, my great-grandfather. Okay, One of the reasons why he stayed and didn't leave, unlike a lot of people, was because he felt that, well, look, he actually knew a lot of these commies because uh, in our family we have a very strong liberal tradition and he believed that it was wrong for them to be prosecuted from their, for their views, as was the case then. And he, because he had certain administrative powers, issued them with certain paperwork that, for example, allowed them to leave the country. So a lot of them went into exile and he thought, well, I, I, I know these chaps, okay, I've done them some favours. And anyway, they can't be that bad, surely, well, no, they can be, and they will be, because ideology is more important than human lives. And the, the the sooner people accept that, and the sooner people shake off their South African exceptionalism to think that these are places that, I mean, these are things that happen to other people in other mm. places, the the sooner they will be able to
1: react. Well, the German example works. The reality is that the rabbis in Germany, the chief rabbis uh, of the various cities, Berlin and and um, uh, Goodness Frankfurt, me. Frankfurt, and <laughs> Munich. Um, you know they they uh, told their communities, "Don't worry, don't worry, we will be fine." Uh, there will be challenging times, and and it will be tough, and uh, but we will sort it out. Uh, and the, the, you know, people listen to the leaders in their community very often, uh, which is you know fair enough. Uh, they 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 tend to. Uh, put place trust in these leaders and and uh, that was the belief the belief would be that you know they wouldn't possibly uh do all these things that sound like they're threatening to do them
0: but they do they and, and and they do them already and we already have people who have lost their jobs because they defended free speech um we have people who are not being promoted we have people who have been hounded down. We have people who have been doxed, i.e., they've had their um, they were de-anonymized um, on the internet. Uh, we have people whose uh, books are not being published. If you are a classical liberal or a conservative in current English-speaking academia, for example, mm-hmm. you will struggle to publish because you have no right to your views according to that doctrine. And the further you dig into this. Uh, the more you, you, um, start to appreciate the genealogy and what you are dealing with, you know, and, uh, from what I could gather at the moment is that when classical Marxism became discredited, um, um, and it got discredited for a number of reasons, you know, not just its death toll, but because intellectually you could not defend uh, the things like the labor theory of value, for example, the dictatorship of the proletariat, um, there was a bunch of German scholars, uh, the, which are now known as the Franklin Frankfurt School. School. Yes. And they got together and they decided, oh, wow, uh, Marx was really very limiting himself. You know, he should not have just looked at socioeconomic class. He should have looked at race and gender and sexual orientation. uh, uh and then this thing got exported into the states by those very same German scholars, uh, into particularly Ivy League universities. And from there, uh, from then on, we have the current um, the currently dominant, uh, dominant theory, uh, n- known generically as critical theory, but, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's a variance where, you know, critical race, or critical gender theory, but the analysis is the same much as the bourgeoisie yeah. by definition oppresses the proletariat, mm. Men, by definition, oppress uh, uh, women, and uh, heterosexual, by definition, oppress homosexuals. So we should be know-, we should know what we are dealing with. To me, the most surprising thing is when I had a, a highly intelligent woman, like um, Helen Zillow, on your show, and I listened to that podcast. Um, she uh, could not recognize this when New Chaps, I think, mentioned it, but this is like Marxism. Uh, and she says, no, 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 this is not Marxism. Yes, it is not classical Marxism. This is a postmodernist bastardized version yeah. of it, but the tactics are the same.
1: I actually, I recently gave a, a presentation on the problem of social justice, and essentially, it's a Venn diagram. If you take postmodernism, post-modernism Marxism, and critical theory. Uh, and the centre where they all meet is social justice. It's the social justice we see today. That's that's what informs all of the all of all of the social justice movements, um, and but you can see it in in anything they do. So the postmodernism helps them to to kind of uh, dismiss any real truth uh, in in the society. The Marxism is is where the so-called equality comes in, it for, uh, it and how to for seize power. power, yeah, and, and for the power, and, and, and the critical true. theory. Well, it just applies you take the critical theory and you apply it to whatever you want. So if it's race, it'll be race. If it's gender, it'll be gender. And um, in,
0: in the framework of critical theory, Marxism is essentially critical class
1: theory. Yes, absolutely. As a sub-variant. That is the original version.
2: Right. I mean, because what, what the Frankfurt School found was that uh, when Marx said, you know, uh, pull down – not pull down uh, – you know, put down your, your – your instruments of, of oppression, i.e. your, your, your rakes and your factory tools and whatever. And, and don't worry too much about your country. All the, the all the people that he said that to somehow rose up and went to fight for their country in World War One. So the Frankfurt School said, well, why is that? And I said, ah, cause people don't understand economics. So we need to make it personal. The, the personal must be political. That's where it came from. And all these people, Adorno, uh, Grams, Was it Up Gramsci? Oh, I can't remember what the names are. But they were all, like weirdly Let's enough... talking
1: about Frankfurt School. Yeah. yeah. They're all... Sons of rich Jewish businessmen. Well, the reason All they went, them. the reason That's they Marx. went to the United, <laughs> right. yeah, you know, the reason they went to the United States. So what happened was in early thirties Germany, um, they were felt that they would be under threat oh, sure. as well, Jews, they would, yes. um, and so they moved the Frankfurt School to Columbia University mm. in the United States, um, and and following the war, they went back to Germany, mm. but by then they had basically set up in the uh, social science. I use that term very loosely. But in the social science department. We call it lady sciences. (laughs) Social disciplines. That's an official complaint, Ramon. Uh, um, They'd set up in the social sciences by then in Columbia and Yale, pretty much across the East Coast. Um, And they spent the next 40 to 60 years uh, just infiltrating every part of the university. And now that's why you may not step onto certain campuses in the United States if you don't think correctly and look I mean you speak about Witz. Witz has been a uh, long uh, there's a long standing joke about Witz being Moscow on the hill um because it has always kind of leans towards communism and Marxism.
0: Well look this is uh, again and it touches on something that you mentioned earlier uh you know the the massive benefits of uh, of communism. These are always propounded by uh, or expounded rather by uh People who never had to live under it, you know, and obviously I did not. I've had this discussion as well. I did not live under the right kind of communism. (laughs) Apparently, somehow, no bloody country ever got that thing wrong. How can that be? Well, yes, no, it was the wrong people in charge. And this is to me the bloody obnoxiousness and the smug criminality of these types. Because essentially what you're trying to say is that if you had unlimited state power, the ability to hurt people and take their stuff... Uh, if you were absolutely unaccountable to anyone or anything, really, then you would have done it differently. Yeah. While you had an ideology that empowers you to do it. Somehow I should have greater faith in you. No. It's no. not how any of this works.
2: No, because of the the Lenin and, and Trotsky and so all that were actually like fairly well educated people with um with um I mean, Stalin was almost a priest at one stage.
0: Yeah, well, look, Lenin was a lawyer, and I believe he yeah. had a PhD as well in that. Yeah. Uh, but you it's know. always
2: the educated yeah. intellectuals that are the most dangerous.
0: Well, yes, it is. Uh, to, to, to me, it actually comes from, um, you know, uh, getting a lot of your knowledge from books and not from the, from the actual world yeah. uh, and uh, developing this uh, internal dialogue with yourself and be with people who agree with you intellectually. You know, to me... The real um, validation of such doctrines uh, comes from uh, whether, A, they enjoy political support. And if you notice, communists never really win the election. They seize power violently because their ideology justifies
2: it. Well, that's the difference between communism and socialism.
0: Yes. Uh, Economically,
2: it's the same thing, but one gets prefers voting mm. or being voted in. Communists are like... No, we're just going to take it by force.
0: Basically, yes. The, the the few isolated instances where communism has actually taken power by election is where, he, where it has married, oddly enough, nationalism. So if you take Tito in Yugoslavia, you know, who led a successful Insurgency against the Germans during the Second World War. He, yes, he did take. Uh, he did. He did. He, he, he did come to power. And, uh, and I understand the South African Communist Party would be standing uh, for election uh, in the upcoming. So two- they claim, yeah. So they claim, yes. And I, w- I would give them a small percentage because the um, voting system is uh, uh, designed this way to give them a small proportion. If you vote on pure on pure proportionality, what to me is the bigger thing is not how people vote with their ballot paper but how people vote with their feet and to me if you um, have your people for whom you built this utopia on earth this is I mean this is the most progressive and enlightened society uh, they don't want to have any of it and they look at the first opportunity to exit it and in fact you have to close your borders and uh, if they decide to cross them you shoot them and if they want to leave them lawfully they have to get from their government a thing called an exit visa which you may not have heard but if you wanted to go to Israel for example from the Soviet Union you didn't just need Israeli visa to go there you had to you needed a Soviet exit visa your own government had to permit you to leave the country why if it is such a Excellent. This is this is such a paradise. You know why do you need to keep people locked in? People are most honest when they vote with their feet. And uh, apart from a few absolutely misguided uh, uh, lefties, who, by the way, didn't stay long, like Lee Harvey Oswald, the guy who shot JFK. You mm. know he lived in the Soviet Union for a long time. He had a very Good deal cut out for him where he earned about four times the salary of the annual worker, which or of the of the Soviet worker, even though it was considerably less than what he was making in the US. Uh, you know, he still left. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, we could obviously speculate on the many of his reasons there. But the fact that there were very few people who really chose that order and even brothers
1: from Africa from and, whom the, and- And the examples continue, though, because uh, you can use the Soviet Union. It's not as if uh, people are boarding boats from Florida to go to Cuba. Uh, People are literally getting on planks in Cuba in the hope that they might make it to the United States. This has been going on for a very long time. Now they can get on planes because uh, they've eased some of those restrictions. I imagine that the... Sort of immigrants that come from Cuba to visit their family, uh, you know, on holiday trips and never go back will, will, will probably increase to some extent. Um, no way Trump is in power. Man. Um, you know, uh, the, the whole Mexican argument. Well, why are the Mexicans trying to get over? Well, they're trying to flee something. It's not communism, but they're fleeing a, a worse environment. They want to go somewhere wh- which has better opportunity. It's hundred percent correct. People, people vote with their feet.
0: Very good. And this is uh, uh, applicable even to brothers from Africa, you know, in uh, the Soviet Union, it was very important uh, to export, um, should we say, great Russian imperialism, you know, and uh, otherwise known as communism um, and Communism is first and foremost an imperialist doctrine. You know, I hope everybody appreciates it. You know, and one way, like all kinds of imperialism, it propagates itself is through um, education indoctrination. In Moscow, for example, there was the famous Patrice Lumumba University, which provided free tertiary education to uh, socialist-minded youth from the third world. And how many of of them do you think stayed behind? Very bloody few. Let's just say Russia doesn't have a large black population. Um, uh, ask yourself why that is. Why would somebody prefer to become educated in this work's paradise and come back to live in
1: Congo. Africa where
0: there's yeah. malaria uh, and uh, perhaps a bit of civil war and uh, perhaps a bit of, uh, you know, failing systems everywhere really. Uh, well, because it's nevertheless better to get paid in dollars.
1: And to be free. I mean, in, in in a sense, a lot of the times when those systems fail in, in African countries, as an example, because of a failing system and a failing government, it creates freedom very often.
0: Well, it is. Uh, yes, uh, there is um, obviously freedom, but I would say also it is the opportunity for prosperity, because um, in the Soviet Union, you hardly had any. So the only people that had any fair shot at it were the absolute superstars. So these would be people like the cosmonauts. This would be people who were heads of very large state-owned enterprises. These would be, uh, obviously very high-level apparatchiks, you know, in a, in a communist party system. But, uh, essentially it worked as a form of hereditary nobility. You know, you had to be born into this and it's very rare that an outsider was in noble into it. You know, who your father was mattered a lot more. And, uh, know, yeah, well, For
2: both ways. For both so, wise, so, yeah. so, so, if you were an Ori citizen, it's terrible if your father was a landowner. Mm-hmm. But if you are a part of the Apparel Cheek, it's quite cool. Or not that he's a landowner, but that oh. your father was uh, a high ranking civil servant. Absolutely. So, yes. so in that case, it's, it's good.
0: Well, absolutely. So in, in South Africa, in modern lingo, this would be called struggle credentials. So the strongest, uh, sort of, uh, claim to communist blue bloods or red bloods. I don't know if that's uh, that's quite an apt uh, description, but the strongest claim, so communist uh, high aristocracy, were people whose families participated in the actual revolution. They actually overthrew the old order. So essentially, these were the children of executioners. You know, uh, the children of people who ran kangaroo courts. The children of people who ran death squads. Uh, then um, thereafter, uh, if that was not possible, uh, particularly at a national level, it would be desirable to have one or two of those at a national, at a provincial, at a local level. That would be very good if you're uh, were one of those underground people who were perhaps, if not participating in the revolution, they were maybe aiding it. You know, maybe they were distributing some uh, paperwork. You know, they were distributing the East newspaper, which was the um, the main um. Publication of the Communist Party. Um, uh, f- uh, further down the ranks, uh, you know, you had to have uh, people who were, you know, absolutely rough peasants, uh, mm, absolutely, you know, bone uh, bare, bare bones uh, poor proletarians, you know, who uh, uh, the less skilled the better, you know, and uh, they had to have some sort of political consciousness to them and uh, you know after that it was perhaps without any of that but if you had somebody you know like um, both your parents had to be working class because if only one of them was you know that's a little A hey, you've got a bit of impure blood that's like having a one drop of black blood in I don't know the US South in the 1850s yeah, white, national, and then obviously if your family had any other blood then I'm sorry mate but you know there were very many ways from you know punitive psychiatry to um, a death squad
2: we're still talking about the Soviet Union.
1: <laughs> I keep forgetting. Oh, I see a lot of parallels. There, who do you think is going to win this? Because I, I kind of I get the sense that, you know, at the end of the last century, if you'd gone to someone and gone, who won this century? You know, did the did kind of capitalism, democracy, those sort of tenets win? And most people would have would have said agreed absolutely. By then, it was 10 years, about 10 years earlier, the, the – uh, The uh, uh, Berlin Wall had come down, Uh, the Soviet Union was uh, basically in pieces, many of those pieces now uh, allying with states like America uh, and uh, the other sort of allies. You you would have said that you know communism, Marxism, socialism was on its way out. Yes, there were still some uh, parts of the world that were a bit backwards, but really, within the next couple of decades, those would probably disappear. And our side, uh, you know, I take it as my side because that's the side I'd like to see be victorious, at least in some respect, um, had 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 won. Uh, And now we sit in twenty seventeen with you know CNN. Reporting on Antifa as if they are uh, what? Um, uh, Peace through violence. That's how CNN reports them. And and the New York Post said communism was not great, but women had better sex. Did you see that? Did you see that article? I did. And I don't know if you've noticed how it wasn't the post, it was actually the Times. And I promise, and the Times over the last two to three months has actually, I saw a montage published a whole bunch of pro communism, pro socialism pieces uh, in its op, in its op-eds. Um, although the media, I will say by the time you hear this podcast is currently backpedaling on the whole Antifa thing because they've now realized that these guys are pretty much out of control. And um, the other day, they beat up a journalist. So now the journalists are, even though journalists are just like firemen, um, <laughs> they, now they're, they're running in, in, in fear. Um, so they are backpedaling a bit. But but I'm concerned in that there was almost this, this we rested on our laurels. Uh, and we thought, all right, we've won. And we've now sitting at a point where I'm not sure who's going to win. In South Africa, we're definitely leaning far more to the communist-Marxist winning the battle? If I were to say in 20 years' time, are we going to have less human rights commissions or more?
0: Well, look, this is to me what makes me absolutely livid and exceptionally worried because I have seen – two countries, Bulgaria and Russia, go down to communism, you know, and now the third country that I move in, you know, I, I must be carrying some form of very bad luck. I agree with you. The 90s were <laughs> full of optimism. You know, I mean, I remember I read Francis Fukuyama, you know, and he said something to that effect, you know, yes, liberal democracy won the day. We believe in uh, social and in economic freedom, you know, the biggest, strongest ideology that opposed it has now, uh, you know, gone. It's gone with the wind. And it was an uh, era for incredible optimism when the, um, Berlin Wall fell down, you know. And I was there. I was, uh, in my preteens when I was watching that, uh, um, television, live television when they were uh, sh- showing those, uh, East Germans with massive hammers hammering that wall down and i felt a massive sense of cathartic relief you know and i could Mm. see i could up until today when i watched the video on youtube it gives me goosebumps because i can relate to how these people felt and what it meant and what it meant and i would presume the mood would have been quite jubilant in south africa as well because i mean apartheid felt because there was no more commie support for it you know um oh is that not official doctrine uh, did you did you think did you think it was no, I'm, something I'm, else I'm I'm
1: I'm, I'm, I'm 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 okay with that
2: no part had felt because the west did not need us as a bulwark against commies anymore well, we weren't strategic because once the Soviet Union fell, Angola fell and all these other places fell and we're like, you what's could, the point of funding South Africa you, now?
0: You could say that. It was a proxy fight for other people. Yeah, uh, sure. uh, essentially, but the people of South Africa benefited from it and it must have been a fairly joyous mood here. I wasn't here in 93, 94. Uh, but, uh, you know, most people would have certainly felt optimistic about, hey, look, finally, we will have a liberal constitution. Mm. Finally, we will have uh, economic prosperity. We're going to have McDonald's. We're going to have Playboy. I mean, imagine that. Uh, I can
1: tell you people were very excited about McDonald's. I was was around for the first
0: McDonald's. (laughs) I can still see it how they uh, become excited about Burger King. And, yes, I agree with you. Uh, And uh, I think uh, your analysis about people resting on their laurels it was not entirely incorrect. There was a sense of complacency and I still see it here in South Africa as well. People still think, oh, well, uh, this, it can't be that bad. I think to me also there was a strategic error uh, because when we defeated uh, right-wing extremism, shall we call it, in the form of Nazism, we had the Nuremberg trials. We roasted these guys over the coals. We had the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. We had a whole lot of other lovely goodies, you know, that we thought, you know, this, this thing is now banished forever. You know, we, we, we banned Mein Kampf. Uh, because we thought, you know what? Even with freedom of expression, this is not something that we want. You know, we banned, uh, uh, particularly the Germans did, you know, the the wearing of Nazi regalia and the like. But was there a similar process when it came to Marxist Leninism? Well, no, there wasn't. You know, no, did cause we?
2: Because it, it imploded. It wasn't yeah. defeated. It just imploded by itself. Well, but that's just, that's a point I made two weeks, two podcasts ago. Mm-hmm. Notism is always seen as worse because it was only tried once.
0: Well, this is uh, this is to me again. You know, if I were to choose which side to live on again, look, this is this is like choosing between killing your mother no, or your no, sister.
2: If you had to live in Cuba in 1991 or or, or not Germany else. in 1942 or before that, I'd rather live in Cuba, mate. I mean, come on.
0: Uh, yes, because one is peacetime and one is wartime. You know, we can go on about this, but, uh, you know, um, I don't think we fully, yes, uh, appreciated the dangers of communism because, um, yes, Nazism was only tried I, once and it was tried for a brief time. I
1: also think that, you know, this is an example of the lesser of two evils, but you don't need to pick evil. So there is no, there are two evils. Maybe you can make the argument as Ramon has made that communism is the lesser of the evil in compared to Nazism. Oh no, that's not my argument at all. Mm. That's what other people's arguments are, and I'm giving you even, reasons even, why they have that argument. Yeah, fine. So even if that is the argument, the bottom line is you've got other options which aren't evil, mm. and therefore you don't have to pick any of the evils. So it doesn't actually matter. We get rid of Nazism, we get rid of communism, and market. Do you actually hang
2: out with people? What do you mean? Do you assume they make good choices,
1: rational choices,
2: <laughs> like well-developed thinking, critical analysis yeah. of their decisions?
0: Yeah. Look, the death toll certainly of communism was a lot higher, and I think uh, people don't like when that argument comes no, up. They don't. You know? but we did yeah. mention cannibalism, and perhaps listeners might want to know this is the famine that uh, happened in the Ukraine, which you will appreciate is one of the most fertile soils in the world. It was uh, Russia's granary. It was the main agricultural region. You know, after collectivization policies, the type that killed my great-grandfather, essentially there was nobody to plow the land. There was nobody to to plow the field. There was nobody to breed the animals. And depending on who does the counting, but six, seven, eight million people died. They died of starvation. And uh, it, it takes a special kind of twisted mind to defend a system that brings that about, uh, you know, and we are not counting, you know, everybody who was rounding up for opposing uh, collectivization. Yeah. I believe Stalin told Churchill this, the, that about 10 million peasants have been dealt with. We're not counting <laughs> the dead in uh, the civil war that followed the revolution. We're not counting the gulags. We're not counting the cultural revolution in China mm. because who cares about China, right? There's too many of them, you know? Well, What's fifty million you know when you've got over a yeah, billion where right?
1: they also ate each other by the way they uh, in china under um, uh, you know the 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 great leap forward mm. um, they cannibalism was also practiced, and there were uh, children sold, sold as as meat
0: uh, uh, i've <laughs> heard horror stories the yeah. reference
1: for that is, is noam chomsky, so i 'm not even using a right wing reference so yeah it's uh, it, 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 the, the i recently heard it said that um the, as bad as Nazism was and the Holocaust, obviously it's a rounding error on the number of people killed in, by, by communism. So you can make the debate, but as I say, for me, it's just going, they're both bad, uh, and we don't have to choose either.
0: Oh, this is this is again, you know, to me, the the, the, the most striking thing, you know, people became Marxism, uh, Marxists rather, they became left wing radicals because they wanted to fight right wing radicals. But why do you want either? You know, why not? Uh, why not opt for something that is neither and that is more individualist and that seeks to promote the individual? Because people are fucking stupid. Don't uh, explain this to both of you. <laughs> Yes, I, I right. like your yeah. heart and cynicism. You, know what, cynicism.
1: You, you can just get out of the podcast now, because otherwise, there's no point. Right? Well, no,
2: I mean, I mean, the basic premise is: uh, if you think that your ideas are more important than people, you're a bastard. Basically, and you yes. would kill millions of people just for your ideas to come to fruition, or attempt for them to come to fruition. That is this. That is despicably evil.
0: Well, this is what these uh, both sort of right and left wing radical collectivism are. They are essentially um, an ideology that seeks to divide humanity. You know, and whether you do it on social class or on pigmentation, the effect is the same. And the effect brings about two categories of people: us, who have all the rights, and them, who don't. And we, by virtue of um, a semi holy book, uh, or some sort of scripture or the demands of history or the demands of racial purity have the right to hurt them and to take their stuff, which was the entirely the whole point of the exercise. If you remember um, Aesop, you know, the great uh, um, Greek um, fable teller, you know, I'm not sure if I pronounce his name yeah, Aesop. Uh, correctly in English. Uh, he had a very um, similar fable about the lamb and the wolf and the lamb was saying, what is my sin? And the wolf said, well, your sin is actually that I want to eat you.
1: Quite. Sh- should we end it there? Because, well, uh, I think we've spoken about eating each other quite a bit. So, uh, yes, may as well. I mean, the,
2: the parallels are, are, are there. It's uh, very interesting to note. I mean, we s- sort of knew, but hopefully our listeners will will sort of understand.
0: The parallels are frightening, if I could uh, reiterate this again. This uh, – um, secular monotheism that has, um, taken on, that, uh, um, tolerates no dissent, that tolerates no disagreement, that is, uh, ready and willing and able to, um, confront and to, uh, assault, uh, those who disagree with it, uh, is a very dangerous ideology indeed. And, uh, in whatever guise of variation it comes, be it as an anti-fascism uh, ideology, be it as a uh, plight for equality, uh, we as human beings need to apply our judgment very carefully because if we don't learn from history, we're bound to repeat it.
1: Sebastian, thank you for coming. It's for really sure. appreciate it. Good to have you, my it's mate. It's nice to have someone – who isn't only against the ideology, but has actually experienced what it's like to live under We it. invited someone who had lived experience. There you go. There's your lived experience. How postmodern of us. By
0: the way, does my lived experience allow me to uh, claim communist uh, oppression privilege, perhaps, and uh, to in- enlighten me to a high stakes at the new aristocracy that will be forming?
1: you look very white, aren't yeah, white you see a whiteness overrules rules any anyway.
0: uh, uh really that is yeah. the original white people were never ex- oppressed everything you know?
1: else is expunged
0: uh, yes yeah. yes 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 but obviously. white
1: people were never oppressed sebastian i don't oh. know what you're talking about
0: yes exactly yes, yes. This, whole, tend- this
1: whole podcast has been a waste of time
0: i tend to forget <laughs> yes what's a waste of time for us and for your listeners
1: if you didn't think it was a waste of time you can support us on patreon we really would appreciate uh, any support you can offer Um, We are building up to try to do some great things. We've already had uh, an awesome event with Franz Cronier. We'll be having further events in the future uh, and uh, increasing some content as we we build up. Uh, So you're welcome to go and support us there. If uh, you're unable to do so, please download the show from iTunes or whichever platform you use. And you can find us on Twitter, at Renegade underscore report, on Facebook, the Renegade Report group, and also the Renegade Report page. On the group, we have good discussions with people like Sebastian uh, about uh, all of these topics and anything you really want to discuss. There's some great stuff happening there. Thank you so much for listening. Catch you next time. Cheers.